do 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 being an artist is one thing killing me I don't know why I like to sing that sentence. <laughs> da, da, da. So this is going to be a new thing every week, guys. Brainy's just going to sing a different <laughs> intro da, for us. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so good. I just like my vocal talents, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I, like, want to, to be a singer so bad, but I just, like, am tone deaf, so that's been a real... <laughs> I don't want to say challenge, but, like, a hurdle I've had to overcome. <laughs> Something I've had to like deal with. Something I've like really had to deal with. <laughs> Ugh, some people like don't have the feet. Some people don't have the heart. I don't have the voice. <laughs> Welcome to being an artist is fucking, fucking killing me. <laughs> this week we have the lovely Laura Phillips. Thank mm-hmm. you guys for tuning in again. Yeah, um, she had, was a triple threat performer in her youth. Turned producer, turned stage manager, turned technician. And she brings a lovely new perspective to putting a work on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, Gal Pals has been around for over six months now. Yep. And Which is crazy. Which is crazy. And six months ago, we had a screening party. Yes. So we are planning on having a one-year screening party. It's quite a ways away, but... This is our pre-invite to y'all. If you listen to our podcast, you can come yeah. to our party. Yep. And we're going to give you deets throughout the next few months about it. Mm-hmm. If you have any ideas of things that you'd like to see there, of games you'd like to play, of music music acts you'd like to watch. Or um, raffle prizes. Raffle prizes. You're like, hey, I want a dance lesson with Rainy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I mean, if I, you want a vocal lesson with me, then like also <laughs> possible. Um, so, yes, we will be uh, giving you sh- little tidbits. So if you have any information that you want to give us about that and help us out, help yeah. us plan it. Maybe you want a different type of beer this time. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yep. Okay. Great. All right. Let's get started. Here's Laura. I dropped out of their program. <laughs> program? The U of T program. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's really theoretical. And I was like, I went to U of T mostly like to live downtown. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, what should I do? It's super general. And... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like audition for their acting program and then in the interview I had just worked on a musical for my friend at OCAD mm-hmm. and I had been like a director like production and I, so I was like going on and on about this thing that I just did and I was like gone to their production program so like we, they're like we think you're better suited and I was like oh so scorn <laughs> like, yeah. but also I fully only talked about that the whole time so I'm like true but it was it's very slow mm-hmm. um I remember being in a shop class and there was like 30 kids and one table saw mm-hmm. and he's oh, like, a shop class. yeah, he's like, we're going to build a set, whatever. So you're like line up and each take a turn, like making one cut. And I was like, I'm here from 6 PM to 9 PM making like two one cuts. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. So after the next like week I dropped out and then I got a job at a campus theater and within like a week we were building a set for the campus theater, like That's in dope. a day and I was getting paid and I was like, Okay, yeah, right decision. (laughs) You just, like, did everything, like, practical. Yeah, I just, I stayed in the drama minor to stay kind of, like, connected to the program, but Mm -hmm. I did an English major and then another economics minor and then worked at campus theaters and, like, did on-campus producing. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. See, like, I guess, like, it's totally, you can totally, if you have, like, your own discipline and motivation, 
you can totally like teach yourself how to use that. But like when it yeah. comes to like Q Lab and shit, I'm just like, I don't really <laughs> use this bullshit. Also, like if you don't have access to that equipment, yeah. you can't really. You can do as much reading or as much like yeah. watching other people do it. But if you don't like physically put your hands on it, it's pretty hard to learn. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of the stuff you learn on the job, like the more I work as a tech now, and at first I was like so intimidated because there's more like um, people who've studied this stuff and then mm. are working in the field, but actually like sometimes they don't teach you how to do this specific knot or this specific right. rigging, so it's actually about like how much can you listen to the technical director and like get information and like think critically about what you're doing and keep everyone safe, and then mm. it doesn't always matter where you went to school. Right, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Do you, like, so do you feel like you're more a stage manager? Or, what? like, what is your position, do you think? Right now, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm not sure how to answer that. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started stage managing just, like, to do it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just, like, I got called. And then being a technician happened, honestly, because I re- saw, like, they're having the most fun, like, at Fringe. I was like, that's the most fun table. <laughs> and um, also the strategic choice of, like, who gets paid first to be in the theater mm-hmm. and f- coming from working in an office and doing a lot of like management and leadership stuff and then being like I just want to be in the theater like as much as possible how can I do that and then yeah I just kind of like opened my mouth too loudly at a cast party and <laughs> told someone who told someone I wanted to be a technician and then started working as that That's yeah amazing. <laughs> and then you just learned it from them yeah, I learned it from um, Christopher Ross at Theatre Passmore. He's, like, super patient and loves newbies and um, wow. oh, kind of, like, nice. took me under his wing for a little bit. And then I realized, like, I knew more than I thought I did just from having been in the environment for, like, so right. long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just not being afraid to ask questions. Totally. Mm-hmm. Do you find it really interesting when, because you've been in that theatre environment for so long and then you apply the skills that you already had to something new yeah. and it like clicks. It like makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. The stage management thing was like that. It was like, I literally just got an email that was like, do you want to be our stage manager? And I was like, yes. And then I went to the library and I got a book on stage managing. And I was like, okay, I know about that. I know about that. And like going through emails that I'd been CC'd on as a producer and be like, okay, so what do they do every day again? Um, yeah. And just, and then, yeah. I didn't tell anyone that it was my first time stage managing and just was like, please don't notice, please don't notice. <laughs> They're like asking about like what shows you did in the past. You're like, uh, I have nothing to do over there. Yeah, yeah. Super I think I hear my name. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. But it was the, the key points for stage managing were like artist relationships. And so I was right. like, I know about that. I've been around that. Getting people ready communication, like facilitating communication mm-hmm. and just making this space safe. And I was like, oh, that there's like a lot of it was transferable skills and then the very specific stuff like you need one or two mentors to kind of show you Mm -hmm. you do Do you feel like stage managing for dance versus acting or any other type of installation piece is completely different they vary or what do you think they're yeah they're different stage managing in theater is so specific and because of like the caea stage management style there's like a formula Mm -hmm. um i'm not in that association so there's as an independent you there's like best practices but you can kind of do Mm -hmm. it your way um but yeah theater has like specific rules people are expecting certain things um dance it's always different the relationship between the designers is usually different like choreographers and 
lighting designers have different ways of working. Sometimes it's the same person. And right. so the relationship between your artistic team, the technician, and you is like pretty different in dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stage managing events is like a whole other bank. Yeah. <laughs> you might have people who understand what it means when you're like, it's five minutes until the thing. And they're like, okay, see ya. And you're like, no, that means you need to stay here. Um, or like what, yeah, what it is. I did a show, um, an event for Illuminato in the summer. That was a And so that place is massive and it was with some professional musicians and some amateurs. And so um, you you kind of have to explain, but you can't act like, oh, well, in my industry, we do this. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you need people to be talking to you and like you. And, and at the end of the day, you're, you like, the you're like in their industry, kind of. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well for, the, well, for the people who aren't professional musicians, like if I'm telling them stuff and the pros are like, I understand what it means when a stage manager tells me X. Mm-hmm. Right. The other people, you're like, this is just person to person. I'm going to help you make this a success. <laughs> so please do this thing or please yeah. do that thing. And, um, and dealing with the property management was interesting on that one. In theaters, people understand when you ask, like, can you do this crazy thing or that crazy thing? And they usually want to facilitate mm-hmm. in a place like it's a big public place. Mm-hmm. It's like way more complicated if you want to do something. Mm-hmm. There's not infrastructure. That was interesting. As soon as we brought drums in, the lady like um, was upset because <laughs> she's like, it's too loud. And we're like, we have a hundred electric guitars that are the installation. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, but the drums, but the drums. Oh, wow. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay. Well, but then again, you just like, how can we make this person happy? Because if it was the technical director at a theater, mm-hmm. you would do whatever they needed, needed you to do. Yeah. So you apply the same rules. Right. Yeah. So it's all different, but a lot of it is like people making the event go smoothly mm-hmm. and uh, facilitating. Hmm. That's interesting. I was always wondering. I always like mm-hmm. I'm so interested from like lighting designers and technicians and stage managers, like the behind the scenes people who. A lot of them, I feel like, got into it because they were, like, actors or, you know? But I feel like not there's not as many that got into it because they were dancers first, especially, Mm -hmm. like, contemporary Mm -hmm. dancers. Mm -hmm. So, just, like, the... I'm... Like, it must just be, like, very strange for people to, like... This person is, like, doing this very strange thing on stage where they're, like, (laughs) screaming and, like, rolling around in something. And you guys are just, like, okay, and cue to one. Like, (laughs) so calm. Like, doesn't even say so. Yeah. It is... That's what's fun about it is, like, the, the nerdiness and the just, like, soaking it all in. And kind of this, like, dark humor even. I'm sure you've seen a little bit of it. Like, the attitude is because you really have to be prepared for anything and, like, be able to change quickly and just take anything as it comes. And so um, there's kind of, like, a magic because it's like, yes, our job is to (laughs) facilitate this person rolling around and make sure that they have something to clean them up afterwards and that we can clean it up and that ultimately we can do it over and over again every night in Mm -hmm. the exact same way um so you kind of need to like almost not get emotionally involved so that you can do it exactly the same Mm. um so that i think is the big flip for me as like having a background as a performer and being like emotionally invested in what's going on and then as a stage manager, it's still like super emotional job. You got to connect with people and also manage emotions between people. Mm-hmm. 
than flipping to a technician and you're operating. And actually, if you're emotionally involved, it's like a detriment to you. (laughs) If you're sitting there operating, you've got to wait for the stage manager to tell you, like, go on something. Mm -hmm. If you're watching and you're like in it, I've done this once. I've jumped a queue because I was like, oh, my God. And then this happens. I was like, no, this is not about you. (laughs) Your feelings about the show, like, just stay down and wait for someone to tell you. In Fringe, I got I was a fringe technician for the first time this year, and some of the older people told me like, or just more experienced, or like have something else to do in the booth so that you don't get swept up in the frenzy because the artists come in and it's like super fast, oh, like yeah. fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just high stress, and because you have various levels, some people have never done it before, and then their first time is mm-hmm. really under the gun, and so they're like, just have something else that you can do so that if you if you're getting swept up, you can just like go into your own little world. Yeah. Or if some of the creative team is like freaking out around you, you can just like do a crossword until you need it (laughs) instead of trying to get involved because there's kind of like, um, your role is like to make things safe, to keep the venue safe, um, to keep everything running smoothly while all these people make something very specific happen. So you've got to, have a bit of perspective mm-hmm. it sounds like you've had a lot of like mentors or people like teach you yeah along the yeah, way yeah. um do you find that being in the technician or the producing or stage managing side is a very um welcoming community yes yeah great yeah um i'm trying to think like probably the f- a huge one was my uh, boss at the Georgie Nadiev Theater at U of T. So when I dropped out of the program and started working on campus, mm-hmm. the theater manager, Sharon Reed there, had worked, been a technician and worked in opera and lighting designer. And she was back at the university and teaching at another place. So she had the professional and the teaching experience and... Uh, was kind of massively helpful in like all these little tips. Like mm-hmm. even now I think of some quips that she would say from that. I didn't understand at the time, really. Um, I like trying to think of one, of course, right now I can't yeah. think of one, <laughs> but yeah, she was so full of tips just about how to keep events running smoothly and, um, and kind of like sparked an idea that, Oh, you can have a career in the theater that has, a little bit of management, a little bit of in the theater time, a little bit of creative time, a little bit of mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I find if you if you want to be in the theater and you stick around long enough, there's stuff to do and people willing to show you how to do it. Yeah. Like always, always. Um, yeah, I think. And especially there's like older, more experienced female technicians are always, like, want to help, want to make sure that girls feel welcome. I was just going to ask about that, because it's, like, so (laughs) male-dominated. I mean, I think it's getting, from what I've heard, it seems like it's getting a little better, but yeah, it's still... Yeah, gender is, like, for sure a thing. Um, Not in how you're welcome, but just, like, something to keep aware of, like, how the spaces are, too. Um, There's also, obviously, a lot of women in stage management... Um, but yeah, it can, it can be a bit of a boys club, (laughs) which I think is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing, but it is something that I'm like, I have experience like hanging out with a lot of men and managing that. And it's like the relationship thing, the flirting thing is like, (laughs) you got to just be aware 
I find like it's um yeah you're already like different other than <laughs> and so if you then cross this other line and it's obviously like people's comfort level but for me I'm like no I'd rather just like not mess that up like not not have this added thing because I'm already feeling like, oh, I didn't go to school and I'm new and I'm a woman. And so if there's this other thing of like, oh, and I'm flirting with this someone, I would just like explode. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so yeah, just being kind of aware of it, but not letting it get in your way. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, people always want to help. And I think also for a lot of women, like getting over the imposter syndrome and realizing that like everyone has a ton of questions and um just because someone can say a lot of technical things in a row doesn't mean that they know a lot more than you (laughs) sometimes it's like a way of communicating um I find I don't have like jargon that like coming out of my mouth like some people do but then I'm like listening and maybe the same person is talking about video games in the same way they were just talking about theater tech and I'm like oh I understand what you're saying and uh it's just the like word choice or cadence mm-hmm. that I'm like oh my gosh I don't know any of these things <laughs> and then you break it down and you're like oh this is how I would think about it and so asking people to like clarify or just asking a question not being afraid like oh if I ask a question they're gonna think I'm dumb because um, you have to ask a question mm-hmm. and especially when the more I work as a tech the more it's like if you don't ask a question you could put someone in danger, especially if you're working overhead, if you don't know if you're the one fastening something and you don't want to look dumb, like that's so foolish. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, you have to ask questions and, um, yeah, I don't know. It is, it is like kind of male dominated, but there's anyway, other girls are very nice and welcoming. You can always find (laughs) On that note about fastening things, <laughs> I didn't realize what lights were hung from in the roof until like earlier last month. I thought they were like pipes. really, uh, <laughs> well, no, I know pipes, but like the actual, how the light is like oh, connected, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the C-clamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I had no, I thought they were like really just tight and locked in there. They are not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It is like a C-clamp that's I like mean, this, that they yeah. like just like drill in lightly and you then like just like put this, yeah 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 and then they're put, tight like, they they're for sure me. tight <laughs> do you <laughs> for sure they're tight of course like it looks um it's just like clamped around but then you take a wrench and you like tighten this bolt until it's not moving and there's actually so much like physics <laughs> the tension between them is what keeps it on and then you put an aircraft cable around yeah which seems really small and oh, i always yeah. thought like oh that's so thin until i went on a suspension bridge and i saw an aircraft cable that was like a fist size or two fist size and they're like this can hold three tons and i was like okay if a fist size can hold three tons then a quarter inch can hold at least 30 pounds which is what a light is well that's what i was thinking i was like if it's falling and it like is like dropping not only does it have like gravity that's going to help it and like the weight of it and then yeah. this like safety core is not i was like this is bullshit the it safety will. cord is not holding it it 100 percent scared I get now when I like walk onto a stage I'm like oh I'm like I'm like second away from death at any point like <laughs> just know like the soup the theater is super liable the technical director is super liable <laughs> so no one wants a light to fall and um yeah this the aircraft cable I was rigging on Friday uh 
a bunch of signs and there is a bunch of chains and we had links and all this stuff is like rated. It's the same stuff that you use in construction sites. So it's all pretty mapped out. <laughs> um, and this, the technical director is saying the strongest thing that was in the air with it was um, a quarter inch aircraft cable. Even though we had massive chains, we had other like quick links and metal fixtures, but it's this aircraft cable because of the way that it's all coiled together. Uh, okay. Um, and then the lights themselves are, yeah. Everything is very tight, <laughs> but yeah, it's not like, it's not as if you have two locking pieces that like turn and lock or something like that. Um, it's, it's just old fashioned nuts and bolts. But I just expected it to like at least go like full circle. Like I expected it to be like a circle, like a metal, oh, wrap like around. a wrap around. It is not. It literally <laughs> this and you like drill a thing that like that's what it is. It's tension holds it. Yeah, oh, sorry. Rainy's just making a 90 degree angle with her wrist and her arm. Yeah, if you see a C clamp, it's like, I thought it would be like a full circle lock that you would just like, yeah. Kind of like. There uh, are some that, yeah. there are LED lights that have that where it's, um, I don't know the technical name for this. Yeah. But there's something called the Cheeseboro, which is two halves of a circle, and it has like a wing nut on either side. And so you put that around the pipe, and then you tighten it closed, and it grips the whole pipe. Yeah. yeah. But it's all held together by bolts and screws. So <laughs> either one, it's like you tighten it, and when it's tight, it's tight, and then <laughs> you loosen it a little bit. But there's other stuff that's held by, you know, like ropes, chains, knots. Yeah. But it's the same stuff that like, a knot is a knot. The Navy uses a knot. We use a knot. <laughs> it keeps it safe. I appreciate that you're really trying to make me feel safer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I promise. They're not going to fall. Yeah. Yeah. It Sometimes was... there's like funny things we do that I'm like, this is hard, but I'm like, imagine you're in the army or like, <laughs> imagine you're like mining and this is what you have to do. <laughs> if you think the aircraft cable is scary, the harnesses that you wear when you're uh, 20 feet or up in the air are like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I mean, again, they're super safe. They're all like made by ministry of labor rated or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it just kind of goes around you like suspenders and like under your legs. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the training for working at heights, they show what it looks like when a body drops and you're just like hanging from it. I'm like, this is going to keep me safe. Really? Yeah. Really? They're like, oh, well, you might just break a few bones, but at least you won't be dead. And I'm like, that oh. looks so scary. Oh, like, great. Okay, great. Still a concern. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Still a concern. <laughs> Um, but it's good to know that there's, there's so much safety that goes into it so that when you're actually doing something, you can focus on what you're doing. Which have, have you ever worked with like, um, like flying people, like people like on strings? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. This is my goal. I really want to learn circus rigging. I think I've got to like take a course. I didn't even know that that was the term that I wanted to do. I was just like, I want to fly people. I saw this <laughs> performance of someone who did silks, but she did it on chains, Ooh. which was looked maybe painful, but also amazing. And they did it in a house just around like an I beam in a mm -hmm. doorway. It's like, if you can do that in a house, like what other fun things can you do and tricks? So mm -hmm. and then I asked someone yesterday, if they ever flown anyone. And they're like, no, I don't know about circus rigging. So it's like, maybe that's the term <laughs> I need to Google yeah. to see where I can learn about it in um, Toronto. But <clears throat> a lot of the big things are done by the technical union at C58. Mm. So if you want to do that level of stuff, like at Mervish or at Cirque or something, then you join the union and then you work up right. and become a rigger, which is like a pretty top position. Right. What's the process of joining the union as a tech? 
Um, I know a little bit about it. I th- you become a permit is the first thing, and then you mm-hmm. have to get a certain number of hours. Um, and then you apply for a card, the union votes you in, and then you're part of it. Mm. <laughs> Do you think you'll join? Um, I don't know. I don't think so because looking at my past career and thinking like where am I best and like big groups that all do the same thing are like often not where I land Uh I'm often doing independent things um and having sort of like multidisciplinary and for the technical union is like great and will set you up but it's you don't do it sort of like half, I think. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, want to explore also being a stage manager, also working in venue management. Right. And actually, if you work in venue management, you're either hiring the labor union or you're hiring independent technicians. So it's like a bit of a conflict of interest. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Right now, there's like a whole circuit of indie tech work that I'll probably work in for a while while I figure out if I want to join the union or not. Right. Hmm. Um, cause it can be like, like you were saying, pretty restricting in the union, right? Like you can only do certain types of work. You can only work for certain people yeah. in a certain position. You wouldn't have yeah. the freedom. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's like there, uh, I think my dad said it best cause I was just talking about, you know, unions and career development and even he's not in theater, but he's like, that's the union. The union controls your work when you work it means that they protect you and make sure the working conditions are great but it also means that you're that someone else is deciding right um which works sometimes but i'm and i'm like that's great i'm gonna do that then i'm like actually like critically thinking and being self-aware and looking at my career and being like is that actually how i run my life right so far Mm -hmm. is actually something that will work or something that will feel constricting so i think i don't know it's great though because they there's so much opportunity to learn. If you want to learn sound tech or something, they'll send you right. to this course or that course. Um, but I don't know. Right now, I'm just enjoying being independent. I was at U of T as a student for four years and then worked there for two years. And it's very union-based in their mm-hmm. work environment mm-hmm. and just like a big place. And so when I left there, I was like, I need to just be independent and do my own thing, mm-hmm. bop around a bit and mm-hmm. see what happens. How did you, because we know you through, I mean, you did the show with Nicole Fowle. Mm-hmm. And then you also did Kylie Thompson's show, right? Yeah. So how did you How did you get acquainted with all the dancers? I met Kylie <laughs> through City Dance Corps. We were talking before you came about, oh. I do energy exchange at City Dance Corps. Oh, cool. So that was like, just a great way that I was like, I can go get to know the dance world and um, so smart mm-hmm. dance a little bit regularly and make <laughs> yeah. sure that that's part of my life because I was like how can I make it regularly part of my life because you were dance before right yeah, yeah yeah I trained as like like triple threat performer as a youth and um, just thinking how can I make it part of my everyday so I joined their energy exchange and yeah I was talking to the manager there like what else do you do and then Kylie had the show so <clears throat> that's how I met her that's awesome mm-hmm. So you danced and acted for your entire childhood up to... I, I started dancing really late, like around 12, I want to okay. say. Yeah. It's so funny that like when you think about athletics, you think about um, performance, like 12 is late in life. You're yeah. like, oh, you didn't start till you were 12. Yeah. You're so behind. Yeah. That explains so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like your life is like 
hundred years long. Twelve is so late to start yeah. something. <laughs> Seriously, it's so though. sad. It is. <laughs> yeah, it like ingrains like really early that you have to make a decision about what the rest of your life is going to be like. Yeah. Without any experience. Yeah. But like, also like you didn't start taking like business courses when you were five and you're not behind when you start at 18. Like, I don't Yeah. 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 Or at 25, if you go back to school in like your twenties yeah. or your thirties, they don't consider you behind then either. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, like athletics, like hockey players that start like, as soon as you could walk, you put skates on or like, I think it has to do with like the body. Right. And like how the body yeah. eventually is like decaying. Mm-hmm. So you're going to peak at a certain you, point. Yeah. I think That's it's like true. peaking your athletic in terms of athletics your peak is like maybe not in terms of art but in terms of athletics i think your peak is like between you know 20 to 30 20 to that's like or your age right or like 16 yeah, yeah. so like 16 to you don't want to you don't want to lose that's true two years when your career is already maximum of like yeah eight years at your best that's true I yeah yeah but also i mean the same in the athleticism of dance like if you need to do however many turns in the air at a certain time and have to like yeah. train your body for that. Like for a long, just... for a long period of time before you can yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like the knees and stuff change. And Ugh. so, <laughs> <But> I, <me. laughs> yeah. Body. So you, yeah. Things are, it's hard. Things change. It's, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm definitely going to have to have a hip replacement. I think we started to realize that. Oh, what? How? I just feel like I'm going to. I just like a lot of people, like a lot of dancers get hip replacements as it is. And then also just like my hips crack a lot. And I think it'll be like a thing. I think by the time you need a hip replacement, there'll be like stem cell stuff where you can just like do injectables or like they can just like reconstruct stuff without having to be invasive surgery. That would be the dream. Yeah. But I like literally like if I get into the rehearsal studio and I would like just like bring my legs up to stretch them, it's like... <laughs> and I'm like, mm. see your hips feeling, lock into place. Feeling <laughs> like a little doll, like <laughs> all good. Yeah, uh, your body. <laughs> um, so you started dance at twelve. When did you start? Yeah. Like other, artistic? I started acting at um, like probably six years old. Mm. Went to see Anne of Green Gables on that fateful family trip <laughs> at six, and then came home and was like, I'm doing drama. Now, oh. mom, <laughs> and just um, always like community theater and stuff like that, and then camps, and then um, yeah, I was also pretty like brainy as a child, reading young, and so in grade three, I was in the gifted program, so academics were all were like as important, but mm-hmm. I do come like my dad's musician, my mom's mom taught dance when she first came to Canada, my mom played music, so. Mm-hmm. They're very supportive, but it was like a plus mm-hmm. school plus whatever you want to do. Yeah, right. Um, and then went to Etobicoke School of the Arts, and that was when I was like, "This is like the main mm-hmm. event of my life," <laughs> and then everything else can revolve around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember leaving Factory Theater. I think the first I used to cut class all the time and go see art (laughs) um and so I remember like leaving a matinee or something and uh (laughs) being like oh one day I want to like be too busy to do anything because I'm in the theater and then I remember that like this summer and I was like oh my god (laughs) 14 year old me like why'd you set me up for this (laughs) but then I had to remember like okay no like she's proud of you like that girl who just left the theater is like happy that you're too busy to see your friends all weekend for yeah. six weekends oh. um but it's uh 
I forgot where the question started. Um, you went into acting? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that was, that was the first time that I realized, like, how much time can I spend in the theater and what else actually happens, like, before the actor gets the script and stuff right. like that. I started to get those kinds of, like, questions in the later years of high school. Um, and uh, I was doing a can stage youth program with someone, I think I was, like, 16, and he was in his, like, early 20s. And we were talking about, I want to do this play, I want to do that. And he's like, you know, you can just put on a play. Mm-hmm. I was like really? <laughs> Me? He's like, yeah, you just rent a theater and put on a play. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, do you want to put on a play? He's like, okay. He directed, we got another friend who was in the program to be another actor. And I rented out the Bread and Circus in Kensington, which is now the Kensington Brewery, which was oh, a few okay. things over the last 10 years. And I just rented it out and was like, we're doing a play. Yeah. And, um, we brought all our friends and it was amazing. And yeah, that's how I learned. You can just make a play. <laughs> you can just do, do whatever you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm never doing anything else. Um, and then when I went to school and after school, I thought maybe I'd do something else. As a lot of people in theater are like, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to leave theater. And I'm always like, you can't. <laughs> you think you can. You'll get married. You'll have a nice life. And then your son will join theater. And you'll be stuck again. <laughs> you'll yeah. get costumes, or you'll get involved in community theater. Like, it never leaves you. Um, so, yeah, there are a few years where I was working in digital marketing. And uh, I produced a show probably once a year. Because a lot of transferable skills from marketing and producing mm-hmm. and administration um, and then it was like, kind of just sucked. <laughs> and, uh, Your digital marketing job sucked? Yeah. <laughs> the job itself was fine, mm-hmm. but it was just not working for me. Like getting up at the same time and going to the same place to do the same thing every day was like, not for me. <laughs> no, yeah. exactly. So, um, yeah. What, what was like the impetus where you're like, I'm going to leave theater? Um, the, then the not knowing if I was wanted to perform, the kind of feeling like, mm. oh, I want to perform, but I don't want to do this program or that program. How can I be in the theater and have the independence, the like financial independence that I want mm-hmm. seemed like kind of, I don't know, far-fetched. Mm-hmm. I was at U of T with a lot of other academics who had very different pursuits and I was just like oh my god the world outside of theater like there's so many options Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do some of them Mm -hmm. and then and I also got the advice in performing which I don't know if you've heard like if you are a performer especially an actor and you want to do anything else go do it because you'll make more money doing it Mm -hmm. this was this like very (laughs) pessimistic um kind of cutthroat advice that I think was popular like when I was first going to school and I know some people who went to first year and they would tell them these harsh things like if you'd rather be somewhere else just walk up and get out of the class and stuff like that and that's hard because you're 18 and you're like what is life I just finished puberty like what's going on and like I guess I gotta make a decision it's so harsh yeah like probably so detrimental to people's like feelings of self-worth yeah I can't have multiple interests I can't yeah you know, yeah. or I'm not like, I'm not a real artist. If I'm not like a hundred percent dying for my craft right. yeah. every single day, every single minute. Yeah. That was the thing too. I was like, I have such diverse interests. I guess theater is not what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And 
And I also wanted to see a little bit of like after performing and being in studios and stuff, I wanted to see like what life was like. Like I remember reading scripts of people having all these adventures and being 17 and playing like, you know, a 20 something year old that had done these things. And I was like, I want to go do these things. Like I'm sick of being in a studio reading about these things. I want to go do these things. So I just went and had a bunch of adventures and, um, but kind of got hooked again when I was studying and my brother's friend was at OCAD. They had to do a multimedia thesis presentation. Um, and he was in, Ooh, I forget what he was in, but he's an illustrator and a musician. He was there for some kind of yeah mixed media, uh, visual art, but he decided he wanted to make a musical for his thesis because <laughs> <laughs> he had an idea for a bunch of songs. He's had a vision mm-hmm. and uh, my brother got me to help him put it all on stage. And that was kind of the start of then joining the drama program, dropping out, meeting drama students, getting involved in campus theater. And um, yeah, again, yeah, I thought I'd just walk away. <laughs> you can't. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, you can't. No. The, I think the financial independence thing was huge, too. I was just... I just needed that. Um, and Especially in the city. Yeah, yeah. And realizing that that was a goal and kind of giving voice to that goal and being like, oh, you, it's okay if I don't want to live with eight people all the time. And I, yes. <laughs> I want to have something else. Or, like, it's okay if I want to know where next meals and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay not to want to be a starving artist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And kind of coming from like super supportive and super privileged background and being like, I don't have to scorn that to be an artist. Like I can have the life that I have and want to improve on it and also be in the arts. So I was kind of thinking, Oh, maybe I'll work in management. Maybe I'll do this, that, um, but yeah, the being in an office kind of, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. How can I be in a theater most of the time? Yeah. Right. Um, so you, are you still practicing like acting and dancing and stuff? I've or? been dancing through the City Dance Corps Energy Exchange, right. which has been great. And I was like super involved in the spring. I was in my friend's music video. It was super fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... The summer with Fringe and Luminato and an outdoor show that I was working on with Aria from last week, I think you said, um, kind of swept up and then a bunch of time got taken up. And so I'm kind of like, oh, yeah. When I look at the pros who are at the studio, I'm like, it's because of the time that you put in. And so I'm like, where do I put the time? And right now in my production career, I'm like, that is what needs the focus and where I want to put time. And then... But yeah, if I don't dance like a little bit each week, yeah. I'm like, who am I? What's going on? And then I'll come out of a class and it's like, how is that? I'm like, I'm alive again. Uh, Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I think about like if I was doing stage management or like doing that behind the scenes things, I would feel like I think a little bit of like resentment <laughs> for the for like the performers. Mm-hmm. Is that like what is that a thing that ever crosses your mind? Is that a thing that is like parent in the industry or like a lot of people very happy I'm sure like there's a lot of people that are very happy doing what they're doing yeah but like I'm just thinking from my perspective I would be you, you know? for sure meet um probably not in the technical side because there's like an obsession and a nerdiness and a delight in mm-hmm. the technical functioning right. um 
And often people are behind the scenes because they don't like attention. So if you don't like attention, then you don't like attention. And being on stage is like horrific, right? (laughs) And you don't often meet technicians who cross over and are in front of the stage. So sometimes like me and my mentor, Christopher Ross, are like, um, they're like, why do you want to go out? Like, why do you want to party? And we're like over there, like taking photos, like hamming it up. And <laughs> it's like, it's a sort of personality thing, like where you're drawn. Um, but then the more I work, the more you meet more people. And I meet technicians that do both. And I'm kind of like, oh, so you can mm-hmm. do both. Again, it's this like reconciling diverse interests where mm-hmm. it seems yeah. sometimes impossible. And then you meet a couple of people and you're like, oh, it is possible. Yeah. Well, why did I, can't I imagine this for myself? Right. Um, you definitely meet, I think, in management more of this, like someone who couldn't make it on stage mm-hmm. <laughs> went into management. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily an arts exclusive thing mm-hmm. as opposed to like some people who think that they can't have what they want in life and then are salty about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. yeah. I've definitely been there in, you know, the past and then done the work of just realizing like, who am I actually mad at yeah. and why? And like, how do I let go of that resentment? Um, I think the only the only funny thing between backstage and performers is that like performers break things because they use the things we make. <laughs> it's, like, it's like kind of a joke and, but, um, it's, yeah, it's not like resentment. It's yeah. just funny because of course, whatever you make one time to look a certain way, it's yeah. not the real thing. It's a prop or it's <laughs> something and it's supposed to be used over and over and over again. And, um, yeah, it can break because the performer's job is to be the most in the moment. They're not supposed to be worrying if this thing's going to stay together yeah. or not. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like a joke. that's like a funny thing but ultimately there's I think a great respect because if there's nothing on stage to light to hang to move then what are we doing and at the end of the day it's about all of us and a lot of the times the impact that we're making on the audience and it's about the way that the performer and the crew is working together Mm -hmm. and especially for any runners or um, ASMs or backstage folks that are with the performers I was in ASM a couple times and it was amazing like oh I'm the first person they see off stage and the last person they see before they go on and what does that mean for my um what do nurses call it like bedside manner yeah 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 Yeah, it's like it's a super thing because you've got a bunch if you're on comm you've got a bunch of stuff going on in your ear about what's going right and wrong in the production and all the Mm -hmm. stuff that you're thinking through but your face and your emotion has to like be there for this performer um, of course it's professional, like you're not their therapist, you're not their mom, they have yeah. other support systems, but you're still the last one to be like, you're doing a good job and it's going to be great. Go mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they get off, if they're nervous or not sure, or something went wrong, like it can be super upsetting. They've been holding it together. There's a ton of adrenaline and then they get off and you're the first person that th- they can either tell or the first person that has to troubleshoot it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if you, I think if, if you don't have a respect for that and for that performer, then you should work on that yeah. <laughs> on your own time and not yeah. bring it to work. Like the same time as a, the same way a performer has to like walk through the door and leave whatever's going on outside. Right. Same as crew. And if you're not happy, then go, yeah, do what makes you happy. Hmm. Interesting. 
It's a great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so triple threat, you sing too. <laughs> I trained <laughs> singing. I like hated it. So I said my, my family's musical. Um, so I played the piano for a while, but it it never like clicked for me. My dad plays guitar, my brother plays bass, but it never clicked. Like the way that musicians interact yeah. and like how you pick up and jam off each other. I was just like, I and think the shorthand I, they have is so crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I think for, it, it didn't click for me. Um, and so I kind of stepped away, mm. but w- like, we're always singing as a family <laughs> now more. So there was a time when like, I didn't like to do it. Like some of my, mental health journey has included not wanting to share my voice, wanting to share my voice mm-hmm. kind of in and out of these things. So, um, singing is like a fun way, but sometimes like I find the most vulnerable thing cause yeah, I just find it's like the most vulnerable thing. It's your words and your voice and your face. Mm-hmm. Whereas other forms, like if you're becoming another character or if you're dancing, you get to, um, I find, part of it I can have some stuff going on inside my brain that's just for me mm-hmm. and then my body's doing stuff and I find with singing I haven't learned that I never learned that or I sing more like from the heart and so I'm like what <laughs> so vulnerable <laughs> um yeah so I didn't I didn't love it but I'm like maybe that that's something now I just last week I finally pulled the an old keyboard out of my closet and was like, maybe I can try this. Like just as a thing. I love that you just had a keyboard just hanging out in your closet. (laughs) I did. It was my, it was from my childhood and my parents had it just sitting there and I was like, I want that in my apartment. And then it probably took me eight months to take it from getting it from my parents' house to set up because yeah, sometimes I just amass things in my apartment and then look at them and I'm like, I have that thing. And then I go away. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should use that thing right now. <laughs> uh, so what instruments did you play? You said you didn't really. I played piano yeah. for a while. Like, I did exams and stuff. Um, piano exams, I think, are, like, the most terrifying thing I've ever done. <laughs> did you ever do them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Just you <laughs> and a person in a room. And, yeah, the, the whole environment is so terrifying. So I did that for a while, and then at my middle school, everyone had to play an instrument, so I played bass clarinet, which was cool, and again, like a very niche thing. It, I don't even know how I learned about this instrument, but I was like, that's what I want to play. And <laughs> since there was only one, I could basically be in all the school groups without really having to be very good or audition. <laughs> so like, you're the only one who plays it, you can play this orchestra part. It's like, great. Um, so yeah, the musical training's there, which I, I find has helped in the stage management hugely Mm -hmm. the training as a dancer even though for a short time and the music training has helped um calling a show better understanding Mm -hmm. the language that dancers are using the language that lighting designers are using and then my first stage management job was actually in opera and the way that i called the show was off a score when, right. So you yeah. fully have to read music, which actually was amazing. Ooh, so I was like, I can get so specific. I didn't I know that's how you <laughs> stage manage like an opera. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. interesting. Especially an opera that's through composed, so there's no speech in it at all. Then it's all music, and you wow. call off the score. You can call off a libretto. I found that calling off the score is amazing because you can actually tell like when there's a fermata and the orchestra's yeah. holding, you're not sitting there like, how long is this going to happen? You can actually look at it on the page and mm, right. see exactly where it's going to go. Mm. Um, I wonder if Les Miserables, because it's 
like a musical that mm-hmm. basically just sings through the entire thing if it be read the same way as a stage manager? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't worked on a big musical, but I've seen a lot of calls through the like stage management call board that are like, you must be able to read music to do oh, okay. this. Yeah. So I imagine, I imagine mm-hmm. so. I found it such a powerful tool. I'm like, why would you use just the words when you could have all of the details? Totally, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of call board, do you, how do you find work for yourself as an independent? Um, a lot of it I've been lucky is through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So the from that first that first email, that first job was because I was a campus producer, the faculty knew me as a producer. So mm-hmm. one of them was doing a show at Summerworks, not a lot of money, knew they needed someone who would kind of work for free. And I was mm-hmm. just graduating. So I ended up producing her show and I was like, this will, you know, when you're doing a free show and you're like, this will pay off, this will pay off, this will pay off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lucky for me, it did. Her friend had a company. I was their production assistant. Then their friend was this opera company. Uh, from there, the lighting designer, the lighting designer stage manager relationship is pretty key. So if you get a lighting designer that likes you and they get hired by a choreographer, it actually was, then he brought on me because he's like this, I like working with this person. Mm. We'll come together as a team. Um, that was the first dance gig. And then... Yeah, kind of the same lady that was connected from U of T had something. A lot of my connections have come from U of T, which I feel like is surprising because while I was there, I was like, I'm pursuing other careers. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, um, because the school just attracts, you know, super ambitious, smart people, they go and do things. And then if they had a good experience with you, then you'll get stuff there. Hmm. I'm stage managing one of their school shows this year. They didn't have enough people in their production program, so they're hiring out alumni. And so I'm like, oh, here I am, back in the program. Um, Then sometimes, like, I don't even know if I've gotten something from cold applying before. I don't think so. I've sent, there's a Canadian Actors Equity Association has a e-drive that they send out, but they're mostly equity gigs. Mm -hmm. But that's how you get, like, apprentice stage management roles. So if you wanted to join the stage management association, then you can do a certain number of apprentice credits then apply to become a full stage manager. So I've applied for a few apprentice credits or a replacement stage manager, but I haven't gotten one. And the way that the apprenticeship works is they, the theater can pay you or cannot pay mm-hmm. you. If they do pay you, it's very little. So mm-hmm. now I'm like, I don't even know if I can afford to be an apprentice right. at this right. time. Because it would be taking away from money you could be making. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, if I had something else going on, I could do it. But as the apprentice, you have to be at rehearsals all the time. This, You know, you have to put in the time as a stage manager mm-hmm. would. So, yeah, the union association thing, I'm like not so sure what's going to happen because either I have to like fully commit to it, find other ways to support myself through it, or you can become part of it through just being a stage manager but you have to apply to have your independent jobs counted they have to be under certain contracts Hmm. um so that's that's one way that equity stage managers get a lot of their roles um sometimes oh through facebook actually (laughs) through like buns theater zone and yeah there's a buns toronto theater zone and a produce um production resources toronto Hmm. that both people just post so why I became a technician was because there was a stage management call there in January Mm -hmm. again like semi-free show but 
my goal in January was just to like be working on shows. So I was like, okay, this is going to satisfy that. Even if it's not going to pay me, it's fine. Mm -hmm. So I worked on that and that was at Theater Pass Mariah. It was a rental there. And that's when I got connected with Christopher Ross, who was like, you want to be a technician? Come, sure do it. (laughs) I was like, really? I can just do it. I can just make a play. I can just be a tech. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's really connections and just being around. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are people who have cold applied for jobs and gotten them, but that hasn't been my experience. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a lot of people's experience. Right. I think that especially like in the arts, it's like a lot of it's relationship based, right? Yeah. It's a lot of like how you interact with people and no, I don't want to say like who you know, but it's how you work really. Yeah. And you can't really, you can look at someone's resume and they can have a great resume, but they could be a terrible person to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And taking that chance for most people isn't worth it. So they're yeah. like, I'm going to work with someone that I know has a good reputation or has a good work ethic or yeah, for sure. comes recommended. So that's, I think, much easier. And sometimes having done a couple producing and management roles where I'm assisting someone, sometimes you there's actually not the human resources to mm. post jobs and interview people. Right. That takes so much time and there's you're always under a time crunch anyway to get a production up. So if someone's like, I know this production manager, I know the stage manager, like, great. We didn't have to do that right. applications process because it's another thing added to the step. Mm-hmm. And often directors will want to work with specific people because it's it, sometimes you need to be interpreting what they're saying. Sometimes you need to be taking notes and just, just like the questions you ask when I did, um, under an, under an equity setting, like it was an equity show, but I was an intern Mm -hmm. on the stage management team. So I wasn't actually part of an apprentice program or anything. Um, but I could see a, how a stage manager and director have worked together often. You can anticipate certain questions, like certain right. venue questions. The stage manager is such a connector that if you know the questions someone wants to ask and you can get that information ahead of time or you know how someone likes information to be passed off, it can make the process just like so much easier. So, yeah, relationships and how you travel. The technician side is is like almost entirely community based. Like Mm. once you're in, I got super lucky that I got connected with someone who is super supportive and community driven. And then you kind of get passed around. And once you're on one theater's call list, then another production manager will call me like, Hey, we need people. Yeah. You just get emails that are like, so-and-so gave me your name. Can you come here? Can you do this? Mm. Um, yeah. Or people post. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with it when you don't have work? Um, I always have, I'm like, have a little side something <laughs> that I can go back to. So I work at the Sony center sometimes, uh, front of house. And that's something that if you have time, you can pick up shifts. And then if you don't, you don't, um, and there's lots of people, so you can kind of just juggle around. Um, I still do a little bit of a digital marketing thing (laughs) from, that's like an old connection from a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and that just helps knowing that if nothing else, there's like something coming and then there's kind of like a make hay while the sun is shining attitude. That's like I was saying in the summer, like busy for six weeks Mm -hmm. and it seems 
as long as you were like keeping yourself healthy, like you just got to do it because that's when people need you. And then maybe in August, people aren't going to need you, stuff like that. But it is, I've experienced and I've heard from other people that you could be in September, going into September, like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. Then a bunch of theaters come back. The management team comes back from summer vacation and they're like, oh crap, we need a lighting designer. Oh, we need this person. Oh, we need that person. And all of a sudden in two weeks after Labor Day, you've gotten a bunch of messages and you've got work for the next like eight months. Right. Um, so yeah, that's like, that I think is a super challenge because on the one hand, you want to plan ahead, but on the other hand, opportunities sometimes come pretty last minute yeah. Yeah. just because of the cycle of how quickly people are putting on productions. Yeah. Do you feel that the summer is also like the busiest season in Toronto right now for arts? The summer is busy because of fringe and summer work. So yeah. if you want to do festival stuff, it's like super fun and massive. I love working on outdoor shows, so I'm hoping right. that I can do more of that and that's a special time, but right now is also super busy. The September to December is like a rental season for a theater usually goes from beginning of October till like end of April. Mm -hmm. So this is a super busy time for Mm -hmm. people to be starting stuff, planning stuff. And then for crew, there's just stuff all the time, like installs and strikes all the time. Great. Okay. Laura, (laughs) is being an artist fucking killing you? Heck no. (laughs) I think changing from not being in theater to being in theater was like the biggest revival of my spirit that like ever, ever. Cause like, I just like revived everything, like being able to wake up and, and sometimes not know what you're doing that day is like, I'm sure I will lose the novelty of it over time. <laughs> but right now it's kind of like, oh, wow, I can actually design things the way I want to. Yeah. And I can, yeah, say I'm doing what I love. It just it was not worth it to not be doing what I love mm-hmm. um, for some kind of fear that it, it won't be successful or something. So I would say no. I think there's times <laughs> like this morning after doing a riser call when you wake up and my body's like, oh, God. <laughs> That I'm like, oh my gosh, am I doing something irreversible and negative to myself? But then I'm like, no, no, it will <laughs> bounce back with time and you know, trying to convince yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and also that it's like, it's work. I think I was explaining to my friend who wants to get into like event management, party management, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, just cause you like parties doesn't mean that it's always going to be fun if you choose to do it for work and that there's times in the theater like yeah I love it all the time but there's still times where it's my job and I maybe don't want to be there right that second or I wish I was at some beach or something (laughs) but the fact that like at least if I don't want to be somewhere for work I'm still in a theater so there's like that underneath which I think is what makes it so awesome to work with because everyone has that everyone like fucking wants to be there because yeah they're hustling to be there right And I guess, like, people aren't, like, like, we all know, like, theater people and art people aren't making, like, amazing money. So everyone's there because of, like, passion and drive. And, like, it's not, like, an egotistical, like, I'm here for the money thing, you know? Yeah, that's what's so special. There's some technician friends who work in events, too, because that's where you can make a ton of money. Right. And so you have a private company doing an event, and the attitude is just so different because there's a lot more money at stake. Whereas when you're working in arts, like it's the vision that's at stake and everyone has to get on board with that person's vision. And Mm -hmm. so there's this camaraderie 
that you're going to do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's amazing. It's a great place to end. Thanks so much. Thanks, cool. Thanks. That was great. That was so fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and check out our Patreon and like and subscribe and rate us. Say hi. Send us an email. We love getting feedback. All those things. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye.